Arbitro, Cadeo Penalty, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I almost forgot the name of the show. Uh, that, by the way, is Portuguese for Hey Ref, Where's the Penalty? A phrase I feel all Brazilian sports fans, F1 or otherwise, oh. have uttered at least once. Oh my God. Uh, I am Drew Scanlon. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? Are we, I'm good. Are we punching down at soccer? Is that what's happening here? Are we Are we high and mighty in our F1 castles? No, man. We we had like eight races in a row where we were complaining about the stewards. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. It's a uh, it's it's ubiquitous threat all of sports. Regardless, that's right. it's it's the one thing that unites all cultures. <laughs> also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Not too bad. My, my Chicago Bears won, won a game. The refs did not interfere. Uh, so this week, I am a man without grievances. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Uh, thank you for um, to both of you for uh, uh, holding down the fort while I was away. No problem. Uh, I listened to the show. It was fantastic. Oh, cool. Uh, if you are new to the podcast, welcome. If you are new to Formula One itself, uh, there's only two races to go. But hey, you can catch up on uh, our preseason primer, which uh, assumes no prior F1 knowledge uh, and gives uh, the load on how the sport works and who everybody is. And then you can catch up all the way through uh the winter break perhaps uh this year's primer is episode 59 if you'd like to listen to that uh also this show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift f1 every month we release at least one bonus podcast and bonus video exclusively for our patrons uh covering racing documentaries and films f1 video games primers for other racing series perhaps uh and lots of weird things so if you want to support the show and get access to all that fun stuff head over to patreon.com slash shift f1 or click the link in the show notes what do we got coming up danny Oh boy! In a couple of weeks, we're going to record our uh, our our. Is it? It's been our first prime. Is it our first primer this since? No, we did uh, endurance racing. Yeah, oh, we did. Of course, we did endurance uh, right off the bat. But we're going to have to do it again because they've changed. They're they're about to change everything. <laughs> uh, but that is the nature of doing primers for motorsports. Totally, yes. it's a it's a moving target. Uh, we will be uh, try, attempting to strike the uh, current, I guess, uh, Formula One break sport uh or maybe that's a bit reductive we'll be going over to the electronic world of formula electronic formula e um <laughs> and doing a primer on that uh, it'll be at the end of the month just after the uh, first race of the season so we'll be able to sort of talk about the rules give you an idea of how it all works and uh, also sort of let you know what to expect from the rest of the year uh in formula e and we also have a f1 game history by the end of the month as well awesome i'm of i'm course. very much looking forward to that formula e time i feel like the more the more i know about a racing series the more i enjoy it and i kind of skipped a year with formula e so i'm, I'm looking forward yes. to getting back into it uh, speaking um, of formula one video games did you know what i did last week yes please tell us uh well you also did extra life for giant bomb uh that's right uh, rob you get extra life as well uh no not this for- year not this year, yeah. So Extra Life, in case people don't know, is a sort of an annual uh, charity tw- video game marathon thing that happens in the world of video games to raise money for uh, children's hospitals around the globe. Um, I know, Drew, yourself and Alexis and Ian played a bunch of games. You did your, your David Cage em up uh, oh, this year, yes. as you always do. Um, I, uh, I took the, I don't know regrettable decision to um i could att- not believe you were doing this when you <laughs> it's, it. i raced an entire f1 season um 25 races so it wasn't the whole time but i i did basically sit in a driver's seat uh, supplied by next level racing and a, and a thrust master 
wheel and pedal uh, setup that I got and raced for... It took 16 hours to complete the season. So I did Ugh. something in the realm of 300 to 350 laps. Um, my butt was real tired <laughs> by the end. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. We raised over $8,000 for uh, 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 the local children's hospital here in Oakland. So it was fun. It was a, that's it was awesome. Fun. It was fun, except I did have to skip Monaco because my gearbox broke. <laughs> so that was the only <laughs> one. I, ra- I raced with a bum gearbox and had to skip that one. But it was fun. It was a, a, a. It was interesting to sample every racetrack we had this year, and then also touch uh, Interlagos, which we'll talk about today, and, and Abu Dhabi as well, of course. Cool, and um, I will put some links in the show notes if people want to watch the archives uh, yes. of those. And the Thank donation you. page is still open. Um, yes. I think I think my tiny URL goes to this. Did you are, are you were you racing for the Giant Bomb team as well? Yes, yeah. So okay. uh, our totals went into theirs. Mine was tinyurl.com slash f one Danny. Okay, mine was uh, tinyurl.com slash John Halo. <laughs> Perfect uh yeah so check that out that was fun um but there's more fun to come particularly in the news not a lot of news no. this week uh, kind of just yeah uh like add-ons to what you guys talked about last week mm. uh, rob you want to take this first one up here uh yeah absolutely uh so speaking of add-ons last week we talked a little bit about roger penske uh taking over all of IndyCar and going Mm. from being uh, the greatest team owner in IndyCar history to being the boss of the entire damn show. Uh, One of the things that came up is that he appears to be open to the notion of bringing back uh, the USGP, or at least bringing F1 back to the F1 track at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Awesome. Is it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what? Uh, what are your What are your thoughts? Well, I think I feel like the way that circuit is regarded now, it is not viewed as a classic, right? It right. was very much a gimmick and a compromise to get a Grand Prix circuit to the Brickyard. But in terms of what we actually like want from an f1 track it probably wasn't uh it it probably wasn't a masterpiece you're talking about the 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 formula one race at the indy circuit yeah okay was Uh, that where was that where the tire yes thing happened yeah yeah of course yeah (laughs) they um i was looking at the formula one stats uh, that now go back to 1950 on the formula one website and the very first season of what we now call Formula One, there was a the the U.S. race was the Indy 500. Yep. So I I think, huh. and this is the way that racing used to work: you could just enter any car or whatever into the Indy 500. So I think Formula One just joined in at the Indy 500. And a, a dude on a bike and a golf cart, <laughs> right. and some fellow was riding a horse. It was great. Yeah. So, I mean, to be fair, though, it, it sounds like what right now Penske's in that stage where he's just taking something over and he's in the not ruling anything out stage. Right. Yeah. Where where yeah. he's not saying, no, Blue I don't want to do an F1 race. 
uh, he's just he's just sort of sitting there being like, what wouldn't I run at at Indianapolis? Uh, so, you know, this is if you if somebody wants to talk to Roger Penske about hosting your motorsports event at Indianapolis <laughs> Motor Speedway, uh, call here. this number, <laughs> Go, contact Roger at IMS. Uh, no, I, I think. I think the way this probably plays out is him dangling Indianapolis there as a Formula One venue probably helps an F1 deal get done elsewhere, which I think is, you know, as we talked a little bit about last week and which is continuing to, to go on, is not proving easy. Getting a second USGP date uh, is proving to be pretty tricky. Yeah, more, um, I guess, not <laughs> more non-developments uh, in the Miami Grand Prix thing. The mayor, I believe, vetoed a motion to prohibit the use of public roads, basically saying like, let's not get too hasty here. We'll wait until December 10th or something for, uh, for all the, the guy that owns the dolphins to convince the people of Miami that they should have a race here. Uh, and that's, that's where we are right now in sort of this limbo. Yeah. Um, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, but so I never watched, uh, the I wasn't watching Formula One when they were at Indianapolis most recently, but it's my understanding that there is a road course within mm-hmm. the Indianapolis uh, Oval, the, and the F1 track raced mostly in that, but then part of the course went up on the banking. Yes. That sounds really cool to me. Was it cool? It was kind of cool, but the problem was it was actually the only cool part about that track. Like, uh, right, the yeah. issue was... It was cool as hell watching F1 cars just come barreling out onto that banking and then down the main straight. And if I, I want to say they were running in reverse direction, so they would be up on the banking yeah. at turn one, but they would be heading down the straight in the direction of turn four. Yeah, uh, that's and then they would it cut clockwise. Yeah, and then they would cut into the infield, and that's where things went wrong because the infield at Indy is big, but it's not that big. And you have to leave a lot of room for escape roads, for gasoline alley, etc. cetera. Uh, and so the way it always it – was, it was kind of this, this featureless, uh, almost like a karting track in some ways mm. is, is, is how it kind of felt. I don't remember any memorable action there. And I think there's a reason the, the most memorable thing that happened at F1 was Michelin having to pull their entrance because they couldn't handle the lateral loading on the tires. Yeah, the the boos that were heard when all those cars pulled into the pits at the end of the uh, the yep. outlap. Um, I don't know. I I find myself getting more excited about the prospect of in the I then this and it just feels like a not to you know say anything bad about Formula E necessarily, but it feels a bit like the Miami one is kind of just another hodgepodge city circuit that we'll yeah. have for one or two years and then it'll disappear again. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't get particularly excited about like this idea of like we just need to cram an F one somewhere in Miami. Like, oh, it we can't like do it here. Let's do it here. Right. Yeah, Remember totally. his obsession like to be it's like coming from the wrong place. Well, we'll do it in New Jersey, and we'll have the New York skyline behind yeah. Formula One. And first of all, you never get a good skyline at an F one race, with the exception of Monaco. But like, once you put the crash barriers up, that's what the cameras are going to catch. You could have the most mm-hmm. scenic city in the world beyond the crash barriers, but like, look at what the look at what Singapore looks like from the track. It doesn't look like anything. You know, you I mean, ch- think about the London Formula E. 
Right, yeah. It's in Battersea. It's in Battersea Park. Like le, le, the cameras point down. For, yep. you know, it's like yeah, I'm totally with you on that. And then this one just feels like it's going to be like outside a stadium in a strip mall or something. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I'm not in. I'm not necessarily into it. You know, though I might be like in the same Formula E at IMS. Like that, I could see actually being cool. Right. Mm, yeah. But uh, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I would love to know more about what Formula One requires of a circuit to be F1 certified. Because, you know, there's a whole bunch of IndyCar tracks in North America. Well, I wonder if and the... And didn't gra- F1 race at... It's raced at a couple... Did it race they at Watkins at the Glen. Glen? They raced yeah. at the Glen for years. It was... Yeah. I wonder if that Grand Effect's cool. going to have a, an effect on that as well. If, like, stuff like banking, for instance, would, would there, with Grand Effect, it be easier for them to go on different styles like that than it would be with aerodynamic grip i can see that being more dangerous actually i don't know it's it's tough because i think aerodynamic grip uh it's pushing down through the banking pretty hard uh which helps keep you anchored to the banking i'm not i wonder what the effect of like ground effects sort of pulling down would be yeah it's Mm. interesting it's interesting to think about i think uh but I think overall, the direction they're going is it sounds like they might. It sounds like the future of these cars is to maybe be a little bit slower even uh, than they are. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we will, we will see how it plays out. But my suspicion is that the indie track may not present the technical hurdles it presented back when Michelin and Bridgestone were shooting it out. Hmm. Speaking of the future, Rob. Uh, I hate to throw you another news story your way, but uh, what do you think of this feature from Autosport? Yeah, uh, so Autosport uh, published a piece this week about Formula One's... This week, Formula One is going to be fleshing out details on its strategy for going carbon neutral. And as far as I know, the actual... Details that of that proposal haven't come out. I think they come out the day after we're recording. Uh, but there's a lot of skepticism about what the strategy is here, what the what we mean by by carbon neutrality, um, and it seems like any sort of carbon neutral proposal in F1 has a ton of potential to just be greenwashed to hell and back, right? Mm. Um, And it also sounds like maybe one of the real directions of what Formula One is trying to do and what Liberty is trying to do is that they're just trying to get the word out that Formula One is already considerably greener than you might think. Um, They're hybrid engines. Yeah. And I think... Well, let's talk about that, right? Because that's one of the first things. That's what a lot of this this coverage is focused on, uh, discussing things like, uh, you know, Chase Carey's out there talking about Formula One uh, running cleaner fuels, running, you know, potentially running synthetics. Um, well, we talked last week about the fact that the the renewable content of the fuel is going to have to be a fifth of the fuel in a couple of years, right? It was not the or a fifth of the fuel originally, and then they're going to they're going to up it over the next few years after that. But all of this has got to do with the the cars themselves, not the circus, right? Yeah, and I think that's that's where we run into real problems. We've we've talked before in somewhat 
awestruck but also slightly cringing terms, right, about the logistical chain that connects Formula One teams to their home base as they go around the world. And the speed at which parts are developed and rolled out and sometimes like emergency shipped to teams, you know, they, they, you know, you have emergency shipments of components uh, from the UK to teams in, you know, racing in Singapore or something. That is mm-hmm. a that is a long flight. And now with the length of the Formula One season increasing and them targeting 25 races, uh, the, the real question is, does anyone care about how green it is to run the F1 cars on race day? Because I don't think that's it, right? Like that's that's not the that's not where the where the real toll of this sport comes from. And I think this is yeah, where we, that, yeah, yeah, that's like an afterthought in my mind. Like when I was originally reading this, I was like, oh, of course, like they're going to go greener. Well, maybe the thing to do if you like this is clearly like just getting out ahead of some sort of PR thing, maybe in relation in reaction to Lewis Hamilton's sort of uh, uh, tweets and Instagram stuff over the past couple of uh, weeks, but the. The idea that anyone is worried about the cars in this respect seems a bit silly. There's a quote from this Autosport article where it says it takes seven full 747s to carry all the cars and equipment to flyaway events. And those uh, planes are often flying around empty afterwards. I mean, if they really wanted to reduce emissions, they'd not add five more races to the calendar. Yeah. (laughs) So like it's it's. I can see them getting out ahead of this stuff and trying to paint the picture. Like there was a another line in here where they're saying like, we have a good story to tell. Like, yes, same way Formula E does, right? Where you can say, hey, you know what? These cars are electric and we're part of research that eventually goes into road cars, yada, yada, yada. Um, I don't know if, like, I think all of us three, like, you know, we are somewhat, I would imagine that we all care about the current climate crisis a great deal. But, I also am not expecting Formula One right. to reach carbon neutrality. It would be wonderful if it did, but the idea—it just seems a little bit silly. The 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 the, the, the or not the, the the I guess the part of this that they're attacking is clearly not the part. The story they want to tell is the story of the cars being you know, somewhat, you know, better for the environment than the average car and or, or average racing car and, and that'll trickle down. But ultimately the actual issue here, which surely has to be the circus that's fought, that's flying around these cars all around the world. So it just seems a bit like disingenuous or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, number one, we haven't seen what their official, yeah. uh, uh, what they have to say yet. Um, and number two, personally, you know, yeah, they're not going <laughs> becoming carbon neutral truly is uh to me a a staggering um request of formula 1 of itself. Uh I wouldn't mind them though thinking about this a little more, uh even if it is in terms of uh or for the purposes of improving their own self-image. Um if they're if they're really serious about it, even if they don't get to full neutrality, you know, improvement is improvement. Uh, and I, I don't, I don't mind that. I think, you know, Danny, you, you mentioned that, uh, Lewis Hamilton has made some comments of late. And I think there's been a clear trajectory with him sort of feeling his way toward activism. And like, if you listen to his beyond the grid interview, like, uh, 
this remains one of his uh, real priorities. But last year, one of the things that he was talking about, or two years ago when he did this interview, uh, is marine ecosystem health was a major concern of his. And he's generally had this arc of becoming a bit more environmentally conscious. And that has been obviously in tension with not just his career as an F1 driver, but as people have pointed out, his lifestyle as sort of a globetrotting celebrity. Uh, but in the last, uh, you know, in, in the last month, he sort of posted a series of Instagram posts that I would say threw a little dark uh, about, this, about the state of the world. And I think where this becomes interesting and problematic for a sport like Formula One is that Lewis Hamilton is this generational talent, uh, is very much on track to be one of, if not the most successful uh, Formula One driver in history. And when you have your greatest, your greatest success, uh, one of the most accomplished drivers in history, certainly like the most accomplished one in the, in this modern era, uh, when you have him basically talking about actually my life feels meaningless, and when I look at the state of the world, none of this seems to matter. Uh, that is concerning because if that's how Lewis Hamilton feels, how is anyone supposed to feel? about this sport. And and so I do think, you know, I choose to believe this is not simply performance. This is not, you know, I, I don't think this is just Lewis Hamilton trying to uh, roll out a new brand. I think this is fairly, this is pretty, this pretty well lines up with what we've seen from, from Lewis in the past. Uh, and I think that sort of concern is reflective for a lot of people. He's what, 32 right now? Um, mm -hmm. I think... 34. 34. I think where he's at is reflective of where a lot of folks in this age bracket and younger are when it comes to the environment. And so as much as, as, much as there's sort of, sort of a conservatism in motorsports fandom around issues like this, I don't think that conservatism is matched by younger generations as much. And so I, I do think there's going to be a tension that has to be resolved at some point between the way Formula One is, has always operated, which is spare no expense, you know, damn the cost. We will fly, we will fly that wing or that gearbox, uh, you know, to, to Malaysia tomorrow morning if we have to. Uh, that is going to run up against the reality of increasing dismay over the climate crisis and increasing awareness of the specific role that air travel and air transportation uh, imposes in that crisis. So I'm very curious how they handle this. I, I'm with you guys. I don't think I do not look to formula one to solve global warming. That's a ridiculous ask. And mm -hmm. I don't look, I don't, I don't think that the solution is things like formula one professional sports need to immediately like cut out all the travel or, or all the development or, or, or things like that. But there are tensions that have to be sort of recognized and resolved. And if they can't be enacted through the sport itself, then it probably does need to become part of the discourse around the sport, right? That like formula one needs to be doing, needs to be seen to be doing something. Yeah. And I think, um, 
a lot of these articles, especially those around Lewis Hamilton, are very quick to point out that he used to own a private jet, which he sold earlier this year, according to Sky. Um, and his uh, his car collection is said to include two Ferraris, a McLaren, a Pagani Zonda, and several types of Mercedes. There are a few motorbikes too, and 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 like it it, and yes, he makes his living racing fuel burning cars that are flown around the world. But Lewis Hamilton, by you know virtue of his the magnitude of his celebrity, has an opportunity with that celebrity to be a voice for this stuff. And that doesn't come without the platform that he has. So I, I don't think you can expect the guy to, before he can say, I care about the environment to like start making his own clothes. It's really funny. It's like the, it's like the rich person's version of, Oh, you participate in society. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, it's like, it's not like Hamilton's out on, like he's the one that was tweeting about, or sorry, Instagramming about it, like unprompted. But like, it's not like his ideas aren't reflected by the wider driver pool. Sebastian Vettel uh, on Autosport does an interview with him where he was uh, saying, "With all the facts that are available to with uh, to us today, you cannot neglect what is happening in the world and ignore what is happening. That would be stupid." So I think overall, F1 does have a responsibility, and I think each one of us has a responsi- responsibility to lead, to lead by example. And that is why I feel we should do a lot more. We shouldn't be the first ones. Uh, sorry, we should be the first ones and not just have the highest standards in terms of performance, in terms of cars, in terms of competing, racing, entertainment, but also set the highest standards in terms of thinking ahead and looking after our future, the planet's future, the future of the sport and all this. I think it's all linked. Uh, obviously, is it Max Verstappen perhaps doesn't <laughs> vibe with that? But, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, it, it, I'm sure there is a sentiment or a a more than a nugget of genuine desire to do this um i'm a little bit cynical about them getting out ahead and saying they're going to be carbon neutral that seems a bit like yeah much but yeah, yeah they're giving carbon, themselves 10 years to do it yeah i mean right. carbon neutrality like the minute you introduce um terms like that suggest to me accounting tricks right like there yeah. is it, it's sort of the, like <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna buy credits off of some other co- <laughs> country well, right. part of his issue is like this is why the whole keep it in the ground movement is starting to gain traction right is there's this mm-hmm. recognition that really the best thing you can do is just not burn fossil fuels and create more co2 that's pumped out into the atmosphere like do the cars do the cars in wipeout have like little nuclear reactors in them <laughs> is that where we're going <laughs> Yeah, they're clean. Little fusion reactors in yeah, there. Yeah, little, little, little hydrogen cell cars. Or yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. that's where we're going. Uh, yeah, so so I think terms like that are like do sort of uh, make provoke a little skepticism. But uh, I, I do think that they're going to have to uh, sort of face this issue in one fashion or another. And I'm very curious how they go about doing that uh, because I don't think. You know, even Max Verstappen, and I think Kimi uh, said something to this effect, too. Both of them are kind of... Raikkonen said something I I sort of was sympathetic to. He was like, I just don't think guys who do what we do for a living are in a position to talk about this issue. Like, he's like, I agree, it's serious. I just don't think... If you take this seriously, what we do may not be justifiable, I think, was what he basically was driving at. Um, But... You know, I, I think 
if, if that is what you truly believe, then maybe you shouldn't be doing it. I think what Hamilton is trying to do is figure out if there's a way he can accomplish good uh, via what he's what he's achieved through F1. Right. Well, speaking of uh, Formula One's drivers, we have a hashtag Kubica watch update. Williams to wait until after Abu Dhabi to confirm their 2020 lineup. Uh, but we know I mean, for sure. He's not. Yeah, he's out. Um, but we don't know if Hulkenberg is in. Uh, you take Latifi, it might be, right? Yeah, Nicholas Latifi, tests. I think, is probably the, the shoe in there. Yeah, and he's he's part of their development program. He's done a lot of tests with them. Uh, and I think even Nico Hulkenberg uh, in this Formula1.com article um, uh, points out that it's it, it doesn't even make sense for uh, a driver like him to be at a team like Williams, even though that's where he started. Uh, so yeah, don't, don't know what, no one knows what is in store for Hulkenberg, but, um, probably not a formula one drive. By most standards, he had a good career, you know what I mean? Or he, he had a long career. Yeah. 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 Um, is that all the news fellas? I think so. Alrighty. I well, mean, let's take it to go ahead. Robin. I'll just add, we're at a stage of the track. Like total wolf is not attending this race. Just to let <laughs> yeah, you know where things are at in the me. world of Formula One. What's like, he Total doing? Wolf has senior. Is he not taking the flight? Is that it? Is this his <laughs> carbon neutral stance? I think it's more he wants a weekend. Yeah. Dude, fucking wait, wait a weekend. <laughs> or, you know, maybe he's got uh, uh, 2020 things to attend to or 2021 things. Well, yeah, he could also be doing the Andy Reid thing of. You have to start letting people run the team for race weekends, right? If you're right. if you're thinking about succession, if you're thinking about maybe not being the guy that everything hinges on, this That's is a good, a good opportunity point. to start being like, uh, I'm not going to be here. You handle race weekend. Let's see what let's see how it goes. You're a big you're a big kid now. We're gonna leave you on your own, and the fridge better not be empty by the time I get There's back. a list of phone numbers. <laughs> Uh, exactly. For you to call if if anything goes wrong, yeah. Somebody emailed in and said that they should give Russell and Kubica the Mercedes this week just to test out the <laughs> the driver versus the car. <laughs> right. Do you guys think Total Wolf uh, comes That's back for twenty twenty two? Gosh. Yeah, I wonder who we're gonna. I wonder who we're gonna see go. Actually, we never we never really talk about that with the team principles i think gunter steiner could be <laughs> maybe not long for this world um but uh yeah i don't know i want i wonder how many years corner has left in him as well actually both of them especially especially with that big shift like you said like i wonder surely like if, if they're I, maybe toto their team seems to be the one that's angling for the new regs earlier than everyone else almost so yeah he's probably got a couple of years skin in the game right yeah it's it's a weird time. Sometimes everything coming out of the Mercedes camp seems to indicate that Hamilton is thinking about what his post racing life might be like. Wolf yeah. has alluded to taking on different roles. Uh, but at the same time, I think where it gets interesting is that a new era, new regs means new problems. I could see that being really interesting for mm -hmm. both drivers and team principals and engineers. On the other hand, especially if you're if you're Mercedes right now, there is nowhere to go here but down. Like the best you can do is maintain this 
streak of success you've enjoyed and just run up the score, which is compelling enough. Um, but what what is more likely to happen is that you begin to decline. And also, who knows how long Mercedes remains interested if, you know, Mercedes having tasted year after year of victory. Uh, mm. What happens the first year when they're like third in a championship? Mm-hmm. Company immediately think, ah, oh, you know, we could do something else with those hundreds of millions of euro. <laughs> yeah. We shall see. And we shall see Brazil this weekend, Danny. Yes. Off we go to Autodromo Jose Carlos Pass, also known as Interlagos, which I believe means it's between two lakes. Is that what it's mm, referring to? Yeah, Interlagos? I believe you. Yeah. Um yeah, this uh, track's been around since uh Donkey's years. It was uh it was originally supposed to be a set like an area for housing development, as you can see by the surrounding <laughs> land around it in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Um Following the uh, stock market stock market crash of the late 1920s in Brazil, it was rezoned and they built a track on it in 1938. Uh, it's been in its current format since 1990. The original version of 26 turns. It was kind of longer on that, uh, you know, that little arena section you get into after that straight kind of whipped around there a little bit longer. Um, but uh, yeah, it took a it took a big break between 1980 and 1990 because of. Uh, uh, interestingly enough, issues with speed and or sorry, safety in relation to ground effect in particular. I got a quote here um, from uh, Wikipedia. Due to safety concerns with the 4.9 mile circuit, including the bumpy track surface and inadequate barriers, deep ditches and embankments, the last Formula race uh, held on the original Interlagos was 1980. The race was nearly cancelled after protest by many Formula One drivers, including defending world champion Jody Schechter. Safety concerns were somewhat directed towards the track surface, which BBC commentator Murray Walker described as appallingly bumpy. Most of the Grand Effect cars of 1980 were designed in such a way that the bumpy surfaces were barely tolerable by the drivers. Um, so we lost it for 10 years, went back in 1990, and the, uh, the version that we see now is uh, is basically the, the same one. Um, the turn at the top, uh, turn one and turn two, uh, was a uh, renamed Senna. Uh, the I think it's called uh, Senna S, as we say in English. I think it's S, S for Senna is what they say in Brazil. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it kind of ended up becoming this iconic track of that Senna era um, during the nineties when it returned. Um, he obviously had many years of worth of struggling trying to win there. Uh, his 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 maiden win there ended up being. You know, somewhat of a of an iconic sporting F one moment when he uh, he was stuck, I think, at fifth gear for most of it, and and his arm he he was had massive cramping in his arm trying to keep the car on the track, but managed to do so. Famous picture of him uh, hugging his father after the race, of course. Um, but uh, it it remains a a fan favorite. It's got sixty thousand person capacity. It's uh, pretty much full all week long. Uh, there have been safety concerns in the past. Uh, Jensen Button was shot at on the way to his car. Was shot at on the way to practice one time, um, when uh, when they somebody was trying to, I guess, uh, kidnap him. I guess was the idea behind that. Um, it's eight hundred meters above sea level as well, so that obviously has issues. Uh, just like Mexico on the on the the power unit. Uh, short laps, it's uh, about seventy seconds, I think, around Interlagos. So it's a it's pretty long in terms of the. A number of laps but there's plenty of overtaking opportunities in this bad boy two drs zones the famous um 
I can never pronounce it. It's like a, a quid bananas or something. <laughs> it's that that crazy upwards turn from the end, the the, the sort of the last uh, two turns of the track into the uh, start finish straight, which almost feels like a roller coaster ride or something, where you're just kind of like coming off this massive, uh, slow left hander uphill, uphill, uphill. Um, it's a uh, it's probably the most thrilling corner um, in 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 all of F1. It's up there with Eau Rouge. It's it's not challenging necessarily, but it's just fantastic. A lot of fun comes up into the crowds. It's kind of like the ending of a wipeout track. Actually, it's got that sort of sense to it. Um, uh, a lot of double apex turns in that little arena section. Oh, sorry, the second DRS rate of course is between turn three and four. Uh, but yeah, there's overtaking opportunities all over the place here, and uh, plenty of grass, not much gravel. So um, you do have cars going out wide. With uh, some deep runoffs in some of the turns, but uh, generally drivers are pretty happy to, I don't know, fling their cars around this bad boy because uh, you're generally, except for the sort of end of or start of sector three, you're you're generally not going to end up in a gravel track if you mess up. Um, that was an unfortunate situation actually. And what was that crash? Remember there was that crash at a turn five where somebody collected Alonso. They ended up getting pushed out onto the grass there. He hit some debris. Right. Uh, and it's that's a hard hit. Um, right. actually F1 has a, uh, YouTube, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes of like the top five moments from Brazil. And that is one of them. And it's, Ooh, it's rough. Yeah. It's a, it's always a fun track. It's been, um, you know, it's been, it's, it's not always been at the end of the season. It used to be the final one until Abu Dhabi turned up and sort of took that one, uh, took that, uh, piece away from him. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great little track. It's even when the, you know, in recent years, when the, Championship has unfortunately been sort of done and dusted and the name is etched on the cup. Um, it's still been a fun race to go to. I think uh, generally we get some good overtaking here and, and some some fun driving. Some bad overtaking too. Last year, uh, <laughs> Verstappen was in the lead when Ocon, a backmarker, yeah. tried to unlap himself and they collided, uh, which is documented in Drive to Survive. Um, Verstappen <laughs> likes this track. Uh, Vettel has won here three times. Um, and in 2017, it was Ferrari's only win in the last five years. Mercedes had wow. won the rest, uh, and Hamilton has won twice. And of course, won his uh, his maiden championship here, taking it away from Felipe Massa and the final corner of the F1 season. Yeah, a, that's also perhaps the most dramatic yeah. top five video. It's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, thank God for who was it again? Somebody had a somebody had an engine problem or, or went wide. Timo Glock. Timo Glock did, yeah. He went yep. wide on the second to last turn, and yeah, Hamilton gobbled him up. Yeah, uh, the Poor I think Massa. Th- that and um, uh, Verstappen's kind of uh, coming out party in 2016 were oh, yeah. because of the inclement weather there. Uh, Chris Medlin from F1.com says it's not even worth checking the weather forecast uh, because <laughs> it's a bit like Spa in that it can just change seemingly out of nowhere. Uh, I still got your back, though. Uh, Thank you. Saturday at race time, precipitation 20%. Uh, ah, no, 15% uh, during qualifying time. I'm sorry. On Saturday, uh, 77 degrees or 25 Celsius, if that's your persuasion. Um, <laughs> wind picks up in the afternoon when the race is 11 miles an hour, 18 kilometers an hour uh, out of the south. For race day, however... Um, a little bit cooler, just slightly, uh, 73 versus uh, 23 Celsius, and precipitation drops to only 5%. Uh, wind, however, picks up a little bit, 19 kilometers an hour uh, mm. or 12 miles per hour. So 
Uh, that's what that's what the numbers say. Who knows? Anything can happen. It's Brazil. Um, Tire-wise, we've got the C1, the C2, and the C3, the hardest of Pirelli's uh, rubber. Uh, about half the drivers are taking two hards. The other half, just one. Uh, Lewis Hamilton is taking the most mediums at four. Valtteri Bottas taking three, and then they're both taking uh, eight soft tires. Mm. Um, the only other team taking eight softs is uh, McLaren with uh, two hards for Sainz and Norris, three mediums for them, and eight softs. Everybody else, either nine or ten softs. So uh, really banking hard on the soft tires is everyone. Uh, driver standings. Lewis Hamilton has clinched the World Drivers Championship Ooh. with 381 points. Valtteri Bottas in second place with 314. <clears throat> Charles Leclerc in third with 249. Close behind him, Max Verstappen in fourth with 235. But Sebastian Vettel in fifth with 230. That is a tight race. Yeah. Uh, Alex Albon in, is in sixth place with 84 points, trying to stay ahead of Carlos Sainz, who has 80 Pierre Gasly's got 77. Danny Rick in ninth place with 46. Sergio Perez just behind him with 44. Uh, Lando Norris has 41 points. Nico Hulkenberg has 37. Danny Kvyat, 34. Kimi Raikkonen uh, with 31. Lance Stroll a bit behind in 15th place with 21 points. Kevin Magnussen's got 20. Grosjean's still got eight. Antonio Giovinazzi with four. Bobby Kay <laughs> has one. And George Russell still bringing up the egg. Uh, and Constructors, Mercedes, again, has won the Constructors' Championship as well with uh, their current 695 points. Ferrari's in second with 479. Red Bull's got 366. McLaren with 121. Uh, Renault is in fifth place currently with 83 points. Racing Point uh, behind them with 65. Scuderia Toro Rosso in seventh place with 64. One point behind Racing Point. Uh, Alfa, Re- Alfa Romeo uh, has 35 Gene Haas and team, 28 points. And Williams with their one. Should we take just emails? Hey, let's go some emails. Shift F1 podcast at gmail.com. Or, of course, F1.cool slash emails. If you want to go that way. Roberto, do you fancy taking this email from Alex? Absolutely. This is my first time watching an F1 season. I'm hoping you could clear something up for me. What are track limits? And what are the rules around them? To me, it looks like the cars go outside of the track all the time. Are there certain areas where it's all right to go outside the lines? Keep doing what you do. I look forward to every race to your comments on it. Cheers. Yeah, this seems like an appropriate one considering the U.S. Grand Prix we just enjoyed. This is like that um, John Boy's What is a Catch? Uh, thing they did for SB Nation about like trying to break down receiving rules in in NFL because I think this is one of those things where I don't have a satisfactory answer because I feel my understanding is also unsatisfactory. You are not supposed to put four wheels off. The simplest way I can put it is that you should not put four wheels of your car off the circuit if you do that, like on a quality on a quality lap, for instance, that will void the time. And I think they do still generally do that. But there's a lot of courses where if you were looking at it, it sure looks like cars are going outside the lines where they will go. And what I mean by that is there's the gray pavement. There's the there, there's basically the tarmac or the asphalt of the circuit. And then there's the sort of candy striping of the curbs. 
And sometimes that leads to like a sort of apron of runoff area. And you are not supposed to put all four wheels over the limits of the track across the candy striping or across the white line uh, that borders the track. You're supposed to you're supposed to stay on that on that racing line. Uh, but at a lot of circuits, the enforcement of that gets pretty loose, particularly during a race, which I think is more understandable. People screw up. Uh, people run wide. And if you do that repeatedly, they will eventually like give you a penalty if it looks like you're kind of abusing their forgiveness and you're kind of exploiting uh, runoff area. Um, they will be a little stricter with that when it comes time to consider qualifying laps. But I understand your confusion because it often looks like enforcement of track limits is kind of selective and also varies a lot from track to track. And a lot of times they will comment on this in the driver's meetings before every race, there's sort of a meeting between drivers and officials and that's sort of where points of concern are raised or points of emphasis are raised by the stewards. Here's things we're going to be looking at in this particular race. Drivers can share their concerns a lot of times at certain tracks, drivers are advised, hey, we feel like you've been getting a little loose with the track limits. We're going to be stricter this week. And so uh, I think we saw a little bit of this at Austria this year where there was a real push by the officials to basically get these guys to stop running wide uh, and like giving themselves faster lines around corners by, by exceeding track limits. But yeah, it's one of those things where... Um, Drivers are always kind of exploring the limits of what is legal and what the stewards will enforce. And, uh, yeah, pushing them yeah. a little bit. And, as well. and, and stewards are always sort of negotiating it back. Drew, you did some research on the letter of the law here. I did, yes. Article 27, <laughs> Section 3 of the FIA Formula One Sporting Regulations states. Drivers must make every reasonable effort to use the track at all times and may not deliberately leave the track without a justifiable reason. Drivers <laughs> will be judged to have left the track if no part of the car remains in contact with it and for the avoidance of doubt, any white lines defining the track edges are considered to be part of the track, but curbs are not. Uh, so I think the justifiable reason part of that is a little squishy, but I think it basically boils down to whether the stewards think you're gaining an advantage. Reasonable um, effort is squishy too, man. Like, yeah, totally. oh man, oh, yeah. like, <laughs> damn! I, you know, I was trying really hard uh, to just bring it around. I just, <sighs> yeah. And as you noted, Rob, uh, going wide can sometimes be advantageous, even though you're technically driving a longer distance to do so. Uh, Chain Bear has a good video um, for that, and I'll I'll link that in the show notes. Uh, but basically, yeah, going wider can enable your car to straighten up earlier, meaning you can hit the gas earlier and spend more time going fast. Right. Uh, Drew, do you mind taking this next one as the main producer for these yes. uh, podcasts? I think, I mean, you actually chose it. So yeah, go ahead. Take this one. Yeah. Jim uh, writes in and says, hey, guys, love that intro outro song, but Shazam doesn't have a clue. Can you point me in the right direction? Love the podcast. Keep up. The great work. Uh, I will put a link to this in the show notes as well. Uh, the song is called Drive On By, uh, <laughs> and it is by um, an artist on Audio Network, which is a royalty-free music uh, uh, website. Um, I I think... Not royalty-free, right? You do... We 
pay some royalties for that it's, stuff. No, it's royalty free, but <clears throat> oh, it's, we it's even a license. Bought it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um so we don't have to pay every time we use it, we just bought it and then can use mm. it. Uh so the <laughs> I think what happened was I just went to Audio Network, which was the service that we used when we were all at um well not all, but Danny and I were at CBS Interactive. Yes. Um and I just started typing in keywords for like car and race and drive. And that one came up and it's perfect because, or at least to me, because it like the the like bass riff in the beginning sounds like an idling engine to me. Like the dun 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 like that. Right. And the horns just make me think of uh Brazil, actually. Uh and like Senna and big huh. festive groups of people. Uh, so totally, I think it, it yeah. just really, I, I thought it nailed it. So To me, it uh, always sounded like a video gamey fanfare, which I figured that was sort of a nod oh, to. Oh, funny. Uh, oh, okay. Like, you know, like SNES era racers tended to have really good, like meaty soundtracks. Um, mm-hmm. And so I always sort of, like, to me, it always sounded like, yeah, it sounds like the, the you know, splash screen for, you know, an, an F1 game uh, in the 16-bit era. That's to me. It always felt like, obviously, not the chain, but it felt like the type of music you'd get on an intro on ITV or BBC for like a for like a sport. Yeah, kind of it matched up that way. So there you go. Good job. We've had it for years now. Yeah. Uh, this one in from Thomas um, about Kimi Räikkönen, which I thought was worth uh, chatting about it uh, between the three of us. If there's any time, could you please talk about Kimi and the shit show that is going on at Alpha? I find it fascinating that we have a legendary Hall of Famer driver and he is with a team and can't even produce a ride remotely close to McLaren, Toro Rosso or Racing Point. For example, if Kimi rode for McLaren instead of Baby Norris or Boring Signs, his words, not mine, uh, he would be giving them a chance to grab a podium. This is ridiculous. This is, uh, There was a video where Giovinazzi couldn't swap a tire uh, for vintage uh, Romeo at some charity event and Kimi had to come over and literally do it for him. Sorry, Romeo. I said Romeo. Uh, my brain almost exploded when they blew it uh, with the tire F up, starting him in the pit lane at Monza. You know, the kick, the track that Kimi holds the qualifying record for. Yeah, that place. Is this it for Kimi? One more year babysitting? Or is there a chance we'll get to see the Iceman put these esports babies to shame, maybe with a team move? Um, not sure if uh, Thomas is a big Kimi fan there or not, but uh, <laughs> it is worth mentioning that, you know, we talked about Alonso and the McLaren, um, you know, uh, sort of being at the 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 butt end of that Honda engine, but Kimi, I feel like I feel like at the start of the season they were a lot more uh, competitive than how it ended up shaking out. These past couple of races, they've just they've not been at the races. Yeah, I think um, something that's easy to forget is that they were sour just a few years ago before that influx of cash that came with the Alfa Romeo uh, partnership. Um, it's the same team, but money changes everything as we, uh, well, we haven't really seen it with Racing Point yet, but I think that's kind of my point too, is that it takes a couple of years for uh, for that cash infusion to actually change th- things. So I, I think I would be with you uh, if it was the same thing next year. Um, still, it seems to me that uh, like Sauber were, they were like, William like back with like the back markers for a long, long time. And the fact that they have, you know, finished top 10 would be inconceivable to me two or three years ago. Um, however, you know, I think 
Kimmy going back there seemed to me when he did it like he was he knew what he was getting into and he was happy to do it. Uh, I think it took a lot of pressure off of him uh, of a guy that just wants to to race cars. So um, I certainly don't share Thomas's <laughs> anger at all of this. Um, yeah, Rob. I mean, I think it's fair to say car development issues aside, Alpha does not seem like the tightest ship when it comes to just the execution side of showing up for a race weekend and going about your business. Well, um, that being said, I, I do, I do agree. Like this is a, they're an F they're an F 1.5 team. Like, you know, by, by definition, they're not, you know, a, a, if memory serves a lot of their back end is, uh, borrowed from Ferrari basically. um, so, like, I, I think this was always going to be a sort of frustrating compromise move. Um, and I think that I think this might be it for Kimmy. Like, I, I think you're right, Drew. He's he's just there to race. He he, he loves racing. I, I think um, I sort of felt last year and for a good portion of this year that if Kimmy had Vettel's Ferrari, he might have done more with it than Vettel did. Um and I think there's there's an argument to be made that there's a lot of drivers uh, on the grid that Kimi might give you more than they provide. But I think the thing that cuts against Kimi a little bit is that it's clear he loves racing. It's clear he just wants to drive. But it's always been less clear that he gives a shit about doing well for the team. You know what I mean? And I think that's mm-hmm. every F1 team is sort of thinking about what do what am I trying to get for the future? And I think Kimmy ended up de- like in in addition to already being one of the older drivers. Uh I think when people look at younger drivers like Norris or Sainz, they see guys who care more and are there for the long haul, and you can build a team around. Uh, I think people feel less confident uh, on that front when they look at look at Kimi. Even though I think raw performance-wise, I think there's a lot of teams that might still be better off if they just put their car in that guy's hands and let him do his stuff. Um, but I understand why, pe- why teams made the choices they, they made. Drew, you want to take this next one? Yes. Uh, Piet writes in and says, you guys said K-Mag had an unforced error, uh, referring to the U.S. Grand Prix, where he kind of spun off the track, but he didn't. One of his brake discs exploded, hence the black smoke and the spin. Love the podcast and not a Magnuson fan, but had to defend him. I thought uh, you should read that one because uh, you weren't here, so it wasn't your fault. It was mine. <laughs> uh, also, not your fault because that came out days after. Uh, oh, it did. Yeah, okay, so <laughs> no. Yeah, worries. I had no idea. I didn't. Yeah. So good. Good for him. It was. Yeah. Uh, it seemed like a bad place to have an unforced error on the final laps. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm glad to hear that, Rob. You want to take this one yeah. from Jacob? 
Uh, Jacob writes, y'all have been a big help in familiarizing myself in a new sport this season, so I thought I might offer some clarity. In the post-USGP episode, Rob guessed McConaughey was holding up six for Lewis's championships. Rather, he was repping the hand sign of University of Texas Longhorns. As you said, he isn't well-known in F1 necessarily, but has been a big presence in college football and other athletic events for them. Roll Tide from the land of American college athletics, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for the clarification jacob i think he did both uh, oh you think i yeah. thought they showed him like in the garage and that's when he did the longhorn sign and he then they flashing four in the longhorns okay yeah four in the horns four and two is six unless unless the the longhorns will have won four championships recently <laughs> <laughs> I now know, i just want to watch crimson tide again yeah right <laughs> what a movie yeah, I don't know. I I think Matthew McConaughey is capable of having multiple hand signals. He's, got, uh, he's oh, just a man of layers. He's got yeah, two absolutely. hands. Yeah, that's my understanding. Uh, this final email comes in from Sam Rand. Uh, this was fantastic. Uh, there's a link involved in this story that uh, we'll stick in the show notes. Uh, Sam says, I saw something online about how Ayrton Senna was on the last lap of the 1984 Dallas GP when he crashed out. His excuse: the wall moved. After the race, Senna said uh, Senna and the team engineer walked over to the barrier to expect it, and it had indeed moved 10 millimeters due to a prior incident. Uh, this was almost unbelievable to me because it wasn't even an inch that threw the driver off his rhythm and caused a mistake. Um, and yeah, there's a there's a blog a post on uh, Ayrton-Senna.net, um, which uh, which describes the story in full, but. Yeah, it was incredible. He was basically like taking this outside edge and then someone else had had a, a knock further up and it had pushed this part of the barrier, the concrete barrier, slightly, like millimeters in. And that was just enough to, to have Senna clip the edge and, and, and lose it. Um, shows you something about the sort of millimeter to millimeter, you know, the, the fine line that these drivers are on um, when they're flying around these circuits at these speeds. That's a good one. I think it's pretty cool. my my other favorite racing driver story is, um, and I don't know who it is. It might be Senna, where um, I'm sure uh, someone can tell us in the audience, but it was, I think at Monaco, and I might be getting that wrong too, but he was coming up uh, on a blind turn and there was a crash ahead, but he couldn't see it. Oh, yes, I remember you this. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So uh, he... If he had um, kept up speed, he would have run into the car as he rounded the blind corner, but he slowed down. And afterwards, uh, I think people even asked him, how did you know to slow down when you couldn't see the crash? And it wasn't until much later that he realized um, the audience wasn't looking at him. He was leading the race. The audience should have been looking at him, but they were looking at... Uh, at the crash around the other corner and he like subconsciously realized that and slowed the car down <laughs> it's amazing yeah yeah um thank you so much for all the emails folks i also want to mention that anthony sent an incredible an incredibly long email about how he thinks f1 is basically the bachelor um <laughs> uh like i said i read every email some of them just don't make it in a show because they're just they're just too much but i really appreciate anthony sending that one over I got oh a, man i gotta read a that. good chuckle out of it i'll, I'll share it with you guys uh yeah f1.co slash emails or shift f1 podcast at gmail.com uh you can also follow us on twitter at shift f1 podcast i didn't want to point out one uh tweet here from uh, the last 
let's see. November 6th from James Elwell, a.k.a. at Tall and Proud, who says, I uh, wanted to say thank thanks for all the podcasts. I made compilations of all the different languages from the 2017 and 2018 podcast intros oh to show gosh. my thanks. So this is like a super cut uh, of all of our all of our uh, various intros. Uh, it's, Fantastic. Uh, it's really good. I will link that in the show notes <laughs> as well. Thank you, James. Uh, you can also follow uh, the rest of us on Twitter at Drew Scanlon, at Rob Zachney, at Danny O'Dwyer. Uh, that's us around the internet. Should we take us around the world, Danny? Let's go race around the world. We still got racing. WRC, the World Rally Championship, is in New South Wales, Australia, for the Kennards Hire Rally Australia. Take that, Old South Wales. Gander Mountain Trucks, they're at the Homestead Miami Speedway. Uh, they get a race in Miami for the <laughs> Ford EcoBoost 200. Hell yeah, uh, I got a Ford EcoBoost. I got an EcoBoost. <laughs> yeah, my, sure my is. Mustang is the least eco thing ever. Well, check this out. The NASCAR Xfinity Series, also in Homestead Miami. They're doing the Ford EcoBoost 300. That's 100 better than the trucks. Wow. Uh, MotoGP. Gaia. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the uh, Cheste circuit in Valencia, Spain? Ooh, Valencia. Uh, for the Gran Primo Moto de la Comunidad Valencia. Anyone miss the Valencia Grand Prix? Anyone? Anyone? Remember Pastor Maldonado crushing at Lewis Hamilton? Good times. Good times. <laughs> All I remember was that rinky-dink little bridge. Yeah, such a weird little guy. Such a weird bridge. It was like they were driving in a Porsche or something. The whole thing was like, it was like they were driving in a 1990s video game of F1. Like, it was just the most, like, <laughs> like hard body, rigid track ever with, like, you know, with walls high enough that you didn't have to have draw distance past them. Uh, the, the NHRA is in Pomona this weekend for the Auto Club Finals. Ooh. And we got an S car. Oh, yeah, where we're going, Drew. Well, the same place as their brothers. Homestead, Miami Speedway. For the... We're coming at you, Gaia. Guess what? The Ford EcoBoost 400. Man, Ford EcoBoost, they are really going all in. Nothing's more eco than Ford cars. You heard it here first. So uh, glad they're not weekend? running the mountaintop removal 300 anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the strip mining 400 the, the open pit mine 500 yeah yeah i love that 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 fracking 400 is a real good show oh that's good I like the alliteration uh <laughs> the macau grand prix is also this Holy weekend macau also known as the uh fia formula 3 world cup it is a non-championship race uh, though the winner does get five super license points. Uh, and it's crazy. If you've never seen this before, the track basically has not changed since 1954. Uh, and it would definitely not fly in, in the year 2019, but because it's grandfathered in, it totally does. Very narrow. I think it has the tightest hairpin turn, maybe in the world, uh, of racing. Uh, and is that it is the usually live stream. Horrific accident. Yeah, was this yes. the one where she went up into the stands uh into a photographer's booth yes this yes is, in, is it guaya it's called or something the guia circuit i remember this uh i don't know what it's the crazy. circuit's called i think it might just be called the macau circuit um mm. but uh, i did want to run down 
some notable entries here if you do want to watch it uh, this weekend. There is a, a live stream, I think, on the FIA website. Um, so most of the drivers are regular F3 drivers, but many are here as a one-off from other uh, stuff like Formula 3 regional serieses. Um, there are a lot of junior, like uh, drivers from F1 junior teams, Ferrari juniors, Marcus Armstrong, Enzo Fittipaldi, who's the grandson of Emerson Fittipaldi, mm. uh, and Robert Schwartzman, who's the 2019 Formula 3 champion. Enzo Fittipaldi, that yeah. is a... That is a that's a real statement name for a driver right there. Yeah, <laughs> that's a double. Wow. Uh, and Callum Eilat, also a Ferrari junior. We got Red Bull juniors, Yuri Vips, Yuki Tsunoda and Liam Lawson. Uh, Renault juniors, Max Futrell and Christian Lundgaard. Uh, we got Arjun Maney, who raced in five F2 races this year. We've got David Schumacher, son of Ralph and nephew to Michael. Right. Uh, Logan Sargent who is American and has a great American name. It's Sergeant Logan on his driver's license. Uh, oh, can you imagine if he was in the army? Sergeant Sergeant. <laughs> Lieutenant Sergeant. <laughs> uh, also, Dan Tictum, who has won the last two Macau Grand Prix. He also if you got him. pulled a Santino Ferrucci in 2015 and intentionally crashed into another driver, in oh, earning himself a two-year ban from all motorsports. Uh, Jeez, that'll do it. He also was a Red Bull junior racing in Super Formula, but lost his drive and Red Bull status after three races. Uh, and as we mentioned, Sophia Flourish, who's making a return to Macau after a crash wow. there last year. That was one of the craziest I've ever seen. She fractured, fractured her spine in the accident and endured a 17-hour surgery, but is back racing this year, coming seventh in the Formula Regional European Championship Wow. Uh, which uses Formula 3 cars. And finally, <clears throat> a driver named Ferdinand Zvonimir Maria Baltus Keith Michael Otto Antal Bonham Leonard Von Habsburg Lothringen. Oh my God, I was going to joke this was like a Habsburg name. I was literally about to joke this is like a fucking Habsburg. He's a literal Habsburg. He is the eldest son of Carl von Habsburg, head oh of the House of Habsburg Lorraine, which inherited uh. the Habsburg Empire, which ruled the lands of the Habsburg monarchy, the Empire of Austria, the Austro-Hungarian monarchy, and the oh Kingdom gosh. of Hungary, as well as the crowned lands of Bohemia and Croatia by hereditary right until the dissolution of the monarchy in 1918 at the end of World War I. Oh my goodness. So you wow. can tune in. You link me a picture of this guy. <laughs> I need to I need to look for that Habsburg chin. <laughs> <laughs> What's his driver's license like? Fucking hell. Must be like one of those comical checks, it probably looks like one of those novelty checks. Uh notable past winners of the Macau Grand Prix include Formula E drivers Antonio Felix da Costa, Eduardo Mortara, uh, and Lucas Degrassi, IndyCar drivers Felix Rosenquist and Takuma Sato, uh, and former F1 drivers David Brabham. David Coulthard, Roberto Moreno, Michael and Ralph Schumacher, and a man named Ayrton Senna. I still haven't gotten over Ferdinand's name. Yeah. It's going to take me days to get over that. He was actually leading, I think, uh, in 2017 and crashed on the final corner. Wow. And then Dan ticked him one. That is 
That's something else. Yeah. So it's it's a crazy race. There's also, I think, uh, GT cars and I think motorcycles race there this weekend as well. It's like a big, it's a big thing. So uh, hopefully not at the same time. No, that'd be that'd be wild. This isn't motor storm. <laughs> right. Uh, Formula One is also this weekend. Maybe you've heard of it. Friday, November 15th at 6 a.m. Eastern time on ESPNU is practice one. At 10 a.m. is practice two. Also on ESPNU. Saturday, November 16th at 7 a.m. Eastern time. We've got practice three on ESPNU. Then we switch over to ESPN News for 10 a.m. qualifying. Mm. And finally, gentlemen, Sunday, November 17th at 9.05 a.m. The Brazilian Grand Prix on ESPN2. The Deuce! Live at 9.05. Wow. Thank you. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash shift F1. Uh, again, we got uh, a Formula E primer coming up soon. A couple weeks. Um, yeah, we'll be with you, uh, uh, of course, uh, after the Brazil Grand Prix and before Abu Dhabi and after that. Um, anything else, fellas? No, looking forward to it. Only two left. Drink them in. Robert? I'm stuck on the Hobsburg guy. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> gang. That's a lot. Check out his Wikipedia page. Uh, I wonder if his, what his Gmail account is. (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, get get back here next week and we'll uh, fill you in on uh, how the Habsburg monarchy did in the Macau Grand Prix. Uh, Have a good race weekend, everyone. RestorationGuy69 (laughs) at (laughs) gmail.com. We will see you all next week. Meow.